Welcome back to Real Talk, a podcast focused on the reality of chronic illness. Every week, I'll speak with new guests to bring you an inside perspective for Unfiltered Fridays. Here, we'll talk about dating, mental health, invisible illness stigma, balancing school with a condition, and more. I'm your host, Melody Olander. I'm a life blogger, Instagrammer, healthcare solutions grad, and founder of the nonprofit, But You Don't Look Sick. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on Real Talk. Today, I'm going to be talking with Jake Mayer also known as Jake Mayer's Coaching. Jake is a transformational coach who specializes helping chronic illness patients. After suffering from chronic Lyme for over 13 years himself, he realized that struggles have their advantages and lessons. It's just about shifting your mindset. Jake, if you don't mind starting us off, can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and when your story first started? I lived a happy childhood and was very fortunate to do that. But when I was 15, a series of things happened. I was fortunate enough to go to India, which was really dope on this leadership program, but I got deathly ill there, nearly died first from eating a vegetable samosa off the street, which I just couldn't resist. And, you know, that was just the basic food poisoning, but later with the bacterial infection and parasites that nearly killed me and came back 30 pounds lighter, like looked like a skeleton. And that was pretty rough health-wise. And it fucked my gut up to the point that, you know, it took me way over 10 years to recover from that. Um, And then later that year, I fell, I took a really bad slam snowboarding. I even broke my helmet that I was wearing. So pretty rough concussion. And by the spring, I thought I, I I was just feeling, you know, so many of us in this space have mysterious symptoms and illness before we get any kind of diagnosis and we don't know what it is. And I was feeling a lot of those things. I went to the hospital and long story short, they told me it was viral meningitis which was complete BS. Um, I mean, they did a spinal tap and they said it was viral meningitis, right? So those three things happened when I was 15. I think I picked up bacterial infections, the concussion compromised my immune system. And I know now, once again, looking back on my pediatrician's records that that viral meningitis, that spinal tap I had showed evidence of Lyme disease. So I know that I contracted Lyme disease some way or another by that spring of the year I was 15. Um, But at the time, you know, they said, oh, it's viral meningitis rest, you know, you're fine. And basically for the next nine years, I experienced mysterious illness with no diagnosis, you know, so just countless times where I ended up hospitalized for random acute illnesses, like an abscess filled with MRSA on my kidney that I almost died from and, you know, chronic strep and all these things. And every single time the doctor is like, yeah, but you look fine, you know, but you don't look sick. You know what it's like. Everybody in this community has heard that or, well, at least you look good. And we both have talked about this and agree. We'd much rather look like we feel. I would much rather look like complete shit and feel any resemblance of normalcy or okay you know? Um, but so for eight or nine years, I experienced that. Well, you know, I don't see anything on the test. You look fine. It's probably a virus, rest and fluids. And we know our bodies and we know what it's like inside. And it was, I was, you know, I'm not okay. Something's wrong. Like I am not okay. Fortunately, I was able to just push through and live my life. Like I went to school in Vermont and I had an incredible college experience and I just continue to live life to the fullest, still not knowing what any of this was. 
Um, and, you know, I pursued, I've been playing drums since I was nine. Music has been a huge part of my life and a huge outlet to allow me to get through this battle and to have an outlet to just feel normal and um, connect with people. And so, yeah, I mean, even in the midst of my sickness, I, I booked and managed tours and played as a drummer in touring bands and somehow graduated college. I mean, I missed a semester as many of us do when we're chronically ill, miss out on parts of life, but I bounced back and graduated college. And that summer I went to do a backpack trip in Europe with my sister. Um, we decided to backpack Europe for three or four weeks. And right before I saw a doctor who for the first time, he wasn't like, okay, you have Lyme disease, but it was the first doctor I'd ever seen since I was 15 that said, yeah, there's something wrong with you. I don't know exactly what it is, but your immune system is extremely compromised and you have an overwhelming level of infections and we're going to do something about it. So he put me on doxycycline, which is so common, you know, for Lyme disease or other infections. And, but as well as a whole slew of other things like black walnut oil and Enhanza, just a very wide spectrum of, of things, holistic and um, not so holistic. And it was, um, I, I remember I started all that and then went to Europe on this backpacking trip. And like that day that I landed, I had never had anxiety in my life. And I landed and had crippling anxiety and panic attacks to the point where like I couldn't function. And my little sister had to take care of me on this trip. I was having horrible reactions from the doxycycline. I pretty much had an onset of pandas, which I think we've mentioned, um, you know, a sudden onset of neurological symptoms. And yeah, it would, that was the beginning of me, you know, treating these sort of things. About a year later, I saw an eyelids doctor in Vermont who did an hygienics test and got, you know, showed clear evidence of Lyme disease, as well as Babesia, Bartonella, Rickettsia, a handful of co-infections, and a handful of other things. And basically, so in 2015, I spent two years actually treating. That was like the first two years where I treated having a diagnosis. At the time, I still didn't tell anybody. I kept it a secret. I was working full time as an experiential marketing manager. So basically event manager, like I was traveling. It was such a demanding job. It was insane. Like once again, like so many of us in this space, these illnesses almost seem to target type A personality go-getters. And so I was out there getting after it. And I was like traveling to new cities every week and setting up large events for like Mountain Dew and the NBA, um, managing social media campaigns, and then coming back to Vermont and touring with my bands, all while enduring treatments. Like I was getting antibiotics, the whole IV package of glutathione and all that. I was in infrared sauna four or five times a week. It was insane. And I think a lot of us in this space end up in that that area where we overcompensate you know and we like don't want to accept the realities of being chronically ill and we're like fuck it like i just want to feel i just want to do what i can and you overdo it that's exactly what i was doing you know uh but treatment wise it was like maybe the best i had done then i moved to portland oregon as a stepping stone to get to los angeles and that's where the mold toxicity hit which once again so many people in this space come into contact with mold toxicity in one way or another. And it's a major issue that not a lot, you know, many doctors won't talk about or address. And um, it, it can be tough to get the right information and treatments and how to properly test your environment and handle all these things. But for me, that was the 
worst of the neurological symptoms. And that was the point where I was having severe mental breakdowns and hit a major low point and had to tell my employer once again, had never told anybody except my family up to that point and had to tell my employer, listen, like I've been battling illness for a long time. Usually I, I can handle it right now. It's got the best of me. I need to get out of this environment. I need to go back to Maryland and be around my doctors in order for me to continue being productive and, and working is that, are you guys open to that? Unfortunately, they were. So I went back to Maryland and, you know, treated the mold toxicity and went down that whole path and recovered from that while working from home and preparing my move to LA, eventually moved to LA where I thought, you know, Hey, this is the best place, most optimal place for my wellness. Like access to fresh produce and practitioners, lots of like-minded, healthy people surrounding me, the sun, lots of career opportunities. You know, I just thought that was the place. And I set out with the intention of pursuing my career as well as focusing more on my health and taking it like way more seriously, accepting it and doing everything I could to treat it and, and get to a, a more balanced state. And basically both of them compromised, you know, like, I was going to job interviews and it was taking all of the energy I had to do these interviews. By the time I walked out of there, I would crash and need a week to recover. And it was like, even if I get this job, I don't know how I could possibly do it. And um, the same with my health, I was seeing a doctor and enduring treatments and it was like the most intense treatments I had done and they were completely destroying me. Fortunately, I was able to get in touch with um, an advocate, like a Lyme advocate whose job it was to work with me to navigate my healing and my care and to determine who, which practitioners to work with, when and how, who not to work with, how to implement protocols, how to advocate for myself, you know, you know, commit to, I can't really work right now. Um, and that was really difficult. And I said, okay, we're going to do this for one or two years and see where I get and then reevaluate. I'll, you know, live off my savings and do whatever I have to. And this is, this is my job. And I basically had to rewire my brain to view rest as success. You know, I used to hate resting. Uh, it was not one of the things I like to do. So um, I had to completely rewire my brain and learn how to, you know, chill out and rest and, you know, rest in a productive way and, and embrace healing and basically keep my body in the parasympathetic because there's so many infections in it. It's constantly in fight or flight mode. So I had to learn all sorts of different ways to get it to combat. And so during those two years, I also, with the help of this advocate, was able to access some of the most phenomenal practitioners in medicine that you could imagine. And I just feel so grateful to have that, you know, because my heart breaks for the hundreds and thousands of people that like can't even access this type of care. I was struggling so hard, even with this, this help. And what we did was, you know, I mean, we did some insane treatments and lots of different approaches and we could get into it more later, but the long and the short of it is that, you know, some of them were really instrumental to my healing and I wouldn't be here today if I wasn't for them and for removing certain roadblocks to my healing. Some of the treatments we did really just didn't make a difference at all. And then some of them, to be honest, were really detrimental, all these sort of things. And we set out on this journey and for the first time, especially for a type A personality, I had to put my career on hold. And for instance, like having a pick line in my arm, doing flagell for 30 days completely destroyed me. Like I didn't die, but I feel like it killed me. And I didn't have any physical ability 
I could barely walk. It took over a year till I was able to like really do gentle walks again and stretching and work towards running again. So, but I learned so much from those two years, once again, about who to work with and how to work with practitioners, how to implement protocols, how to advocate for your needs and communicate in a clear, confident, concise way. Like all of these incredible skill sets that got me to where I was at and I came out of it and realized, you know, I need to take full ownership over my healing. Nobody else, like I'm the only one that can do this. You know, of course you need help. You need support. Practitioners, advocates, like all these people provide information, but they're ultimately consultants. Like, and it's your job to get well and you have ownership over your body. We know our bodies better than anybody. So I went through this process of just taking more and more ownership and control over myself and my healing and continue to achieve more and more of a balance um, and got to the point where I was ready to go back to work in the traditional sense of it, making money, doing, you know, doing a job and was like, okay, I'm not going back to selling Mountain Dew to kids. Like I need to help people. Now at the time I was We'll, we'll probably come back to it, but the point where like I ended up sharing my story and communicating publicly and creating a community around this, like you've so, you know, beautifully done yourself, like, like the feedback from that can be really, really positive and overwhelming. And it's just up until then, I was just thinking like, this is how I live my life. But then when I started sharing it, I realized truly how helpful some of these perspectives and skills and tools that I developed are. And people were saying, wow, this is really inspiring. This is so helpful. Like, tell me more about this. Um, so I basically, during those two years where I rewired my brain, I also did a lot of studying about mindfulness, neural reprogramming and retraining your brain and all these sort of things that like I had been developing once again, since kindergarten, I would say. And since I learned that embracing failure and learning how to live life to the fullest and use a struggle to your advantage is a skill set. It's a skill set that can be learned and taught. And it's like, I'm also not the first one to figure this out. This has been around for centuries, you know, and there's all sorts of different names for different aspects of it, whether it's mindfulness or Buddhism, or, I mean, we could go on forever in terms of what these things are, but for me, at least during those two years, that's when I like started to put names and concepts around these things and realize, oh, wow, these are interesting things. And up until then, like I would hop on the phone like this and just chat and just, you know, talk to people and share my experience and tell them what I've tried and what's worked and what habit hasn't. And when I got to that point where I was ready to work again, I went through a transformational coach training program that taught me that there's a way to work with people where basically what I was doing was giving out a band-aid solution. Like through this program, I realized you could work with people in a way that transforms their lives and it doesn't give out the band-aid solution which is so easy to do. And it's so, and everybody I talk to comes to me and says, Hey, I want to figure out my way to wellness. I want to figure out what protocol to do, you know, but you got to uncover truly what's happening. You got to start by uncovering your needs. And it's my job as a coach to work with people, not to tell you what to do and be like, Hey, do this protocol. Cause we've all been in that place with doctors, you know, but to understand what do you need to do in order to get well I'm there for the journey to, to, to take you along and give you the skills and tools and help you along this journey. But I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to empower you to figure out what works best for you because everyone is so unique. And so that is what I'm doing now. I launched my coaching practice after that training program in October. 
and I've been taking on clients since then. In fact, this is so crazy to say, but this past month I hit like my max capacity. I'm fully booked with one-on-one clients and yeah, it's crazy. And um, I'm just so grateful, honestly, to be helping people, especially now it's been some time where I'm, I have clients who are coming through the program and who have, have finished the program. And it's like, just so remarkable to see their growth and to see them empowered and doing what they need to achieve um, more balance and control in their life and find their way to wellness. It's I'm really grateful to be doing it and super grateful to be connecting with you because I know you've had a similar journey. We talked a bit before this and what you've done in terms of taking your struggle and using it to your advantage um, and, you know, founding, but you don't look sick and the work you do around it is just phenomenal. And we need more people like us connecting and doing what we can to help people after you've gone through this struggle. It's like, you know, it, we feel like, um, like an obligation to help people. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. So every person I talk to, that's a similarity I noticed between all of us is in some ways, yes, our, our condition and our sickness has been probably like the worst thing to happen to us and some of the most terrifying experiences and start to mm-hmm. realize like okay this might be where it ends and you kind of get to a point where like you have nothing to lose and you realize you get to start from scratch almost and you're like okay yes. so what am I going to do here what am I going to do to make this a little bit better and I know for you, you ended up finding your passion out of it. I ended up finding like my passion and so many people, like I was talking with one woman that she's using bee therapy. So for her now, she's like loving to advocate and talk about bee venom therapy and how much it's helped her for her condition and other advocates just by knowing like we need to do a little bit better. We need to educate more. And it's been amazing to see and exciting to see. It's amazing. I mean, what's been like the highlight for you of, but you don't look sick and where you're at with that journey? Honestly, for me, I mean, but you don't look sick. I'm extremely thankful and extremely grateful. There's been so many successes, like becoming a nonprofit and airing this podcast. But for me, that's Huge. not as big of a deal as my biggest thing when I first started this is I want to help one person. If I help one person that's enough for me and my dms get flooded constantly on but you don't look sick which i'm thankful for but i'll come across people just sharing like graphs and paragraphs of like messages saying like i almost committed suicide tonight and i saw that like one of your posts and it all the comments and it made me feel less alone so i didn't commit suicide tonight thank you or like someone telling me like they felt alone and their parents were making them feel like they were crazy until they found this page and then kept advocating for themselves and got multiple diagnosis of chronic illnesses. And it's been amazing where it's those messages constantly coming in to where they're making me tear up and cry. I'm like so excited and happy for these people that it's actually making a difference. And for me, it's just like you said, sharing our experiences, sharing like, I have my shitty days and I have quotes that get me through it. I have things my psychologist tells me that get me through mm-hmm. it. I have 
training I've done and therapist classes that I've taken that help me. So why not share this with other people? And it seems like you're in the same boat. And something I kind of want to ask you is what made you get comfortable, I guess, with sharing your experience and talking about it? Because it's not an easy place to get to at all. Of course. Yeah, of course. And I want to hear you there too. Honestly, yeah. Do you want to start and then I'll go too? Yeah, sure. I mean, the funny thing when you were talking is like, when you were saying that you had to tell your employer, that was Mm -hmm. where it started for me. Um, No way. Yeah. So I was similar. Like we were talking, we're same personality, type A personality. And Mm -hmm. I think that gives us the strength to get through it, but also our downfalls sometimes. And blessing and the curse. Yep, exactly. And for me, I was going to ASU, which is the university out here on a scholarship, which exciting, but you have to keep a 3.5 GPA or higher (laughs) to keep the scholarship and stay at the university. They told me if I drop below that, they can kick me out at any time. Um, Also, I was working full time and living on my own. So I was working as a cocktail waitress and a server and in a golf shop, like all being undiagnosed and like in the hospital clinic. So I was already struggling with insomnia. So I just damn near wasn't sleeping most of the time, like just wasn't taking care of myself, wasn't just overworking myself and really burning myself on both ends. And then when I finally got a diagnosis and I was kind of told how severe it was, they were like, okay, you kind of have two options. You have treatment, or if you don't have treatment, you'll be in a wheelchair dead within a few years. And for me, that made me realize like how severe this was from being undiagnosed for years and thinking I was crazy and it all in my head to being diagnosed and being told something like this. And unfortunately, since I have a rare neurological condition, very few people get diagnosed with it per year. Insurance doesn't have to cover our medication because it's not guaranteed to fix the condition. That's (laughs) very rare and very little research done about it. But there is a medication that they told me would keep me from my myelin sheath being further destroyed and keep me from ending up in a wheelchair dead. And it was five to $10,000 per IV infusion of it. And I would need it every other week. So (laughs) you can see how unrealistic that is for anyone. And I wanna say my family, like we're a middle-class well-off family and we were still starting like, how the hell do we do this? How is this possible? And up to this point, no one besides my family knew what was happening. Uh, People had their assumptions because similar to you, I was losing a lot of weight. I ended up under a hundred pounds at one point. People were assuming I was anorexic or bulimic. And finally I opened up to them about this. And I was like, listen, I actually needed to create a GoFundMe for, to raise money for my treatment. And then I had to tell my employers, I'm like, listen, I actually have to start treatment. Like treatment is two days in a row for eight hours a day. And it's going to be every other week. Like it's not realistic for me to be in school and work with this happening. And then the treatment gives you side effects as well. And 
from there it went from no one knowing to like everyone knowing and it being shared all over the internet and my employers knowing and which so at that of- moment sorry to interrupt but that moment like was spurred out of necessity almost tell me what was happening like in your mind when you launched the gofundme like how did it feel and what were you thinking oh my god i was so embarrassed honestly like <laughs> i want to say it took me so long to actually write up that gofundme like no one knew up at this point like i told you everyone just had their assumptions that i had an eating disorder or whatever and i was like how do i even like start my story <laughs> like how do i say like like where do i start so then i just like kept typing and retyping this story and i was like like trying to explain my story and myself and i'm like how do i convince people I'm not just trying to take money from them like I need help you know and I was just going through all this guilt like then you see other GoFundMe stories and you're just like shit like I'm not in as much need as some of these people should I be asking for help so like all these guilt feelings and emotions were running through my head and finally I published it and I don't even know how late at night it was. Like I just published it on my Facebook, like finished the GoFundMe with like a tiny caption. I'm like, this is what's been going on with me. Read the story, help if you can share it. And like shut my laptop, went to sleep. I'm like, I don't want to think about this. And when I woke up, just like my phone had exploded. Like people being like, I had no idea, like phone calls, people being like, what's going on? It being shared everywhere. And I'm like, great. Now, like the entire world knows like, and then unfortunately so many people sharing their negative opinions and being like, oh, but you look fine. Like, I think you just want money or people being like, I've never heard of that condition. Like, it's not like it's cancer. You're fine. Like, and so many negative comments, like there was so much support. And for the people that did support me, I'm forever thankful for, but there were so many negative comments just because I didn't look like a typical movie sick person without hair or an oxygen tank. Like, unless you fit that image, people assume you're fine. And that's not the case at all. So like you felt embarrassed when you went to share that and then so the that sort of feedback starts coming coming to you especially the negative stuff and then how did you cope with that and what did that make you feel i want to say it was easy but i like (laughs) it it makes you go through a dark place like and i was kind of like questioning my own sanity at that time and like i unfortunately lost a lot of friends that didn't want to be friends with a sick person they're like oh being sick made you boring or like it's lame that you can't go out now and that that messes with your head too and then eventually like it's not overnight but like with years of like therapy and working on myself and taking these classes and really studying more and learning more about my condition it gave me more of a strength to advocate for myself from the beginning. So now I don't even have to deal with people not knowing and those awkward conversations. It's like, this is a part of who I am and (laughs) accept it, you know? Yeah, but it took you a while to get to that point you're saying, and it took some studying and growth and work with a therapist. Um, 
and getting outside of your comfort zone and dealing with some really uncomfortable shit. Oh yeah. And I feel like that's all of us. I feel like we could say we're a completely different person from when we first got sick. Like it changes you. And for me, I definitely want to say it's been for the better. Like I'm so aware of my body now and I'm so aware of my mind and like you said, we have such a limited amount of energy. For me, I have to be aware of like what my stressors are and what yep. my energy levels get. So I'm not, yeah, like if we're friends, we're not gonna fight over stupid stuff because we're too tired for it, you know? Uh, and have like a real conversation and be like, okay, what's going on? Okay, cool. This is what's going on. This is how we deal with it. Let's it's get to over. the important part, yeah. Exactly. Like let's not and waste any time. I- and I noticed that's such a difference compared to like able-bodied people the things I see them upset about or wasting energy on I'm like wow I wish I had the energy to be upset about that yeah I mean um to some extent it's like right now during COVID the rest of the world is living in the shoes of the chronically ill because you can't just go out and do what you want Um, you have to do the things you need for your health and to protect yourself. You spend a lot of time alone with yourself. And so you have to learn how to be alone, but not lonely. Um, And also the part about what really matters, you know, living in this society now with COVID has stripped away the resume level things that people do like that first question of, Oh yeah. Hi, I'm Jake. Or like, Oh yeah. Okay. Melody, what do you do? Like that's the first question you ask anybody, which drills this concept from society into our head that our worthiness and our value is associated with our work. And that's where we derive our sense of fulfillment. And all of a sudden during COVID, it's like a lot of what you do has been stripped away. Everybody's sitting at home with their parents for the most part. Like, you know, um, like if you're lucky or you're sitting at home by yourself, you know, so people have to start to begun to see, well, what really matters? And you're right. It's interesting that it's like a luxury for able-bodied people to even worry about certain things, you know? Um, but yeah, we've been training for this time, for a long time. We know how to be alone. We know how to do this. Um, but going back to a handful of the things you said, um, what you just shared is incredibly common in terms of a hesitancy to share this struggle publicly and not knowing how to view it and communicate it, right? And then number two is once you've done that, is a lot of feelings about being embarrassed and about guilt and comparing yourself to others, right? You just said something that was really interesting about like, you have a limited amount of energy, you have to protect it. What I noticed with communication, right, is that a lot of people, and this goes outside of just communicating, um, but especially when it comes to communicating your experience, whether it's just for general support or advocating for specific needs or whatever you have, um, a lot of people focus on the expectations, like they sit there, right? And before you go to post that GoFundMe page on Facebook, or before you pick up the phone to call a friend, you're thinking, well, hmm, what if they don't understand, you know, or what if they make fun of me or what if they don't, they view me differently. It's a lot of these what ifs. And we end up spending so much energy and time on the expectations of what may happen. Keyword may happen. This is in the future. It's a hypothetical situation that does not even exist. 
And we get so wrapped up in it in our heads that we waste all of our energy to the point that when we go to actually communicate, we're already drained for that day, you know? And so a huge thing I work with clients is number one is how do I identify the controllables, right? There's a lot you can't control. Like you said, we've been dealt this card. Like, fortunately you feel you're better off because of it. That's because you've controlled your response to it. You can't control the card you're dealt. Like you got this disease. I can't control what happened to me, but I can control how I want to respond. We feel like there's all these things we can't control, but there are things we can control. So it's a skill set of identifying what can you control, what you can't. Out of the things you can't control, like the fact you got this illness, how do you better accept those things? And then out of the things you can control, like how you respond to the illness, how you communicate about it and how you view it, how can you implement strategies to more effectively manage that response, right? So when it comes to communicating, a lot of people waste time once again on expectations. And those what ifs are all hypothetical situations. Like you'd say, what if they don't understand? Well, you could also say, what if they do understand? The likelihood is exactly the same because it hasn't even happened. So you could shut down all the what ifs, stop wasting your energy on expectations and shift that focus to execution. That's one of the things I talk about is going from focusing on expectations to execution. And you focus on, okay, I'm not going to worry about how people respond to this. I'm going to do what you did. And you sit there and you, 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 you get off your phone, you get focused in a, in a quiet space. I have a lot of kind of like exercises, templates, writing exercises that help with this sort of process. But basically you put the blinders on and you get into a space where you can focus on structuring your communication for the sake of it being clear and concise and communicating what you need and you focus on it for the sake of doing it because it's what you need to do and for no other reasons don't waste any time focusing on how people may react sit there do your best to put the communication together put it in writing keep it structured keep it concise you know and then when you go to do it you you put it out there and it's done and stop right there before you get caught up with the response of oh well this or that before you even get to that point you could feel good and proud in your ability to execute. You know what I mean? And then also in terms of what you said about how it got easier over time and you got to the point where you felt acceptance and also I would argue confidence, right? Like a lot of this comes down to confidence too. Well, a lot of people think that confidence is something that happens, like you have to build up confidence, you know? Okay, fine. You take a course on it. You work with a therapist or whatever it is, I could give, you know, you build up confidence and finally you feel strong enough and you go to do something. That's bullshit. Confidence doesn't happen before you do something. It happens after you do it. Go and do that shit, get it done. Get out there, communicate, focus on executing it. Don't worry about the expectations and you do it and you feel that sense of confidence because you just did what you set out to do, especially if you don't waste the time focusing on the, the expectations of how people respond. And then that confidence, thrust you into that next experience of doing it again. And that's exactly how you continue to build confidence. So it's really cool to hear that you went from this experience of, you know, number one, it coming out of necessity, like you were in a place where you had to tell somebody. And number two, the feelings around it being embarrassment and guilt and these things that are so common and so normal. But over time, as you learn to accept it and build confidence and you realize are unnecessary, um, and they're a reaction. There's something that it's a, it's a visceral reaction that you just, it happens like that. But it, it's clear that you've done a lot of work with, with mindfulness and with 
controlling your mind and your body and how you live. And, and it's basically an ability to control your response to these things rather than just like, ah, react, like, ah, I feel this. It's like, well, hold on, how do I want it? You know, and now not only are you in control of that, but you're helping other people do it. You know, both of us are. So it's like a really beautiful thing. Um, but this is a huge piece, communicating this struggle. It's, it's a huge challenge for so many people. And it's funny hearing you talk about that because it reminds me of one of my favorite stories and something that really made it click for me to focus on the outcome rather than all of those little what ifs because that used to be my mind. Right. I used to, and it's easy to get caught up in that mindset, especially when you have yeah. like doctors telling you, okay, well, we can do this, but this, 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 this might happen. So now you're thinking of all the possible what ifs to make your decision. And a story that I love is he told me your outcome is the same as driving a car and having a final destination. If you are on a road trip at nighttime and you're driving, you can only see maybe 20 feet ahead of you with your lights. You're not driving the entire time saying, oh my God, what if I hit a deer? What if I hit a rock? What if there's a ditch? What if I hit someone's car? You're driving and dealing with it as it comes up as a defensive driver focusing on your end result, your end outcome, your destination. And I think it's the same thing with life. You can only see Certainly. 10 feet ahead of you, 20 feet ahead of you, but you shouldn't be panicking the entire time of all these possible situations that might happen because maybe it's a beautiful road trip and maybe the destination is amazing anyway. So yeah. Think- and then as those, you could see that 10 feet ahead and you continue to take that information in as you move forward, you get to a fork in the road or you get to a sign that says, you know, Albuquerque this way or like Phoenix this way, you know, and then you can make the decision at those crossroads of which way to go. But you're entirely right that if you're stressing about reaching the end and all the what ifs, like that's going to be a really shitty road trip. <laughs> exactly. Like I wouldn't want to be sitting there in a car with a driver the entire time. Like you're driving at night and they're like, what if I hit a deer? What if I hit a rock? What if I hit a ditch? I feel like, please shut up. I mean, it sounds silly, but so many of us are going through life like that. And and your point about the doctors is so true, right? Because, well, typically you go to a doctor when you are sick and you need help, you need medical help. And the inherent relationship of a patient to a doctor is that we trust them to help us, you know, and it's not to take away from them. You know, there's plenty of spots in conventional medicine and like areas where that it works just like that. And it's great. But for chronic illness, that is not how it goes. You, myself, and so many of us have been to so many doctors. And once again, not to take away from these doctors, but it's just the system is not set up in a way where we get the answers and the help that we need. Um, Okay, this is a bit off topic, but I think it's interesting just because while we're on these analogies, right? I thought of this um, recently, and I was talking with one of my clients about this, just about... um, protocols, right? And implementing, implementing protocols and how to view them and successfully implement them and that sort of thing. Right. And so I came up with this analogy of basically like, imagine in your apartment, there's a laundry room, right? And like the laundry machine doesn't seem to be working. And I mean, you notice like a little discoloration on the door and maybe there's some odors and some smells happening um, and the laundry machines aren't working. So what do you do? You go to somebody for help. In this case, you call a handyman, right? You call the handyman, he shows up, he sees the discoloration, he sees the visible signs. Okay, let's, let's explore deeper. And he goes in, he smells the odors. Okay, something's off. Let's go another level. 
he moves the machines back and eventually through this discovery process of kind of, of investigating he's able to figure out okay it's an electrical issue in the back of this and a piping issue like this it's not connected right there's something wrong so he puts his like initial assessment together and he's like this is what i think is happening give me a second let me run in my car and get some tools he runs to his car he gets some tools he comes back and then he pretty much just gives them to you and it's like all right this is what you need to fix it why don't we check in in like three or six months like maybe we'll give you some new tools or shift things and and you know sends you on your way to fix it. He leaves. I mean, in all reality, for many of us in the chronic illness space, going to doctors can feel like that, where, okay, they see the visible symptoms. Like you come to them, like you said, we don't really look sick, but sometimes there's a little bit of visible symptoms, right? Like, like the little bit of whatever on the door or the odor that you smell, right? So then they investigate further, which is the pulling out the machine. That's the diagnostics that usually happen where they're able to figure out, well, what is going on, right? And then they go to their toolbox and they give you your protocol. Here's what you're going to use to get better. A lot of us think like it's the doctor's job to get us better. In all reality, like they pretty much just give us the tools and it's up to us to what we do with them. So back, back to the handyman thing, it's like if he leaves you with all these tools, it's not like a tool is only as good as the person who's using it and their ability to understand how to use that tool to achieve the job that they're trying to do. So like if you're trying to connect a pipe in the back, you need to understand how to use a wrench, right? But if the handyman gives you a wrench, a drill and a screwdriver and you go in there and you got like one foot with a screwdriver over here and your left hand has a wrench and your right hand. And for those that can't see, I'm demonstrating this, which is hilarious because if anybody listening to this podcast could draw this, I'm a horrible artist, but I want like a little stick figure drawing of a handyman or yourself with three tools, one in between the toes, one on the left hand, one on the right hand, and you're trying to fix all this shit. And it's like, how do you even know what's doing what? Like, and that once again is very similar to a space that many of us find ourselves in where we leave the doctor, we have a large protocol. And it's not to say that they sh these tools shouldn't be used together, but it's to say that maybe you should consider using them one at a time and figuring out <laughs> what you're fixing with each of those tools, how it's affecting the situation, you know, um, there's, I mean, this analogy goes on for days in terms of, it, I don't know, I was just talking with a client with it yesterday, and I just thought it was like such a fascinating analogy, similar to your driving down the road in life. And it's, it's so true. It's, and it's funny, because I was actually talking with a girl the other day, like, we were talking about something similar, how doctors will send you like this information or a diagnosis and then they mm -hmm. kind of just send you on your way to deal with it they're like oh take this 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 we'll check in with you three to six months and you're sitting there on google like how do i give subcutaneous injections like yeah <laughs> to them, like explaining how any of this works or what it's going to do and you're like trying to figure out you're like googling you're like okay is my skin turning red normal like right yeah explaining this stuff to you and you really do feel like you're on your own and it's like okay they get mad at me for being a google doctor or whatever but they're also not explaining this information to me and what i need to succeed so i totally get it and your analogy and showing it visually was hilarious so for anyone who actually thank you yeah, i appreciate this. that well and to those listening like i really do want a drawing of it you know um 
my girlfriend said she'd do it, but she, she's got better things to do, to be honest. Like, <laughs> but if somebody, um, well, so that's wild, you know, I mean, the point of that analogy is to shift your perspective on how to work with practitioners and how to implement protocols. And the fact that, you know, we put a lot of weight into them to help us. And once again, it's, this is not taking away from practitioners, you know, but it's, it's just to say that instead of viewing them as the end all be all and the boss, they're part of this equation. They're giving you the information and the tools that you need in order to get your, you know, find your way to wellness, you know, and to, to view it in a way where you're the boss, you're in control of this. They're working for you and their job is to give you what they need so you can get there, you know, and a lot of people um, don't view it like that. And they end up putting a lot of pressure expectations on certain treatments or, um, you know, Hey, this is going to be the one that's going to get me well. And then you get let down when it doesn't work, you know, um, and these practitioners are doing the best they can, you know, they see a lot of people, they only have so much time, you know, so it's important to view it as such. And I used to even view it the same way. I mean, when I first got diagnosed with my condition, my neurologist was actually the one who found it. And he was the one initiating all the protocols, everything. And this was years after being undiagnosed. So for me, I put a lot of pressure on him. Like, okay, you're the one who found this. You should be the one who fixes it. And I remember like asking him that question all the time. When am I going to be better? When is this going to be fixed? Like, you should know this, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And even though it was a rare condition, I, that was still my mindset. Like, okay, you're a doctor, you should be fixing this. Like, and it wasn't until I really shifted my mindset and my perspective to be like, no, this is all up to me. It's the same as taking anyone else's advice. You're not going to agree with everyone's advice that you meet and that you run into. I, I can ask a hundred different people the same question and they're all going to give me a completely different response. Maybe 50 50 of them will give me a similar answer and I'll come to my own conclusion like okay if 50 of them said this like and they all kind of coming to the same conclusion yeah maybe I should kind of go that route but I would initially think whatever a doctor said was correct and that was the route I should go and that put me in some very like life-threatening situations of just blindly following treatments and protocols and following whatever pills they told me to take and it wasn't until I started becoming in charge of it myself and realizing, okay, they only yeah. see me for 10 minutes, like every six months. I am the one who's seeing myself every single day. I need to figure out what actually works for me. And some things I would tell the doctors like this works for me. And they would be like, no, that's not possible. It's not going to work for you. And I would just have to trust my own judgment be like, no, I've noticed that this is working for me. You know, whether it is something like, little like taking condition affects my heart so for anyone who doesn't know I have CIDP chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy and it affects how your heart rate regulates anything that's supposed to work automatically and I was on all these heart medications and I had a cardiologist who was amazing and told me something as similar as like I could make some of these adjustments like putting some blocks underneath my bed to elevate my bed. So then at nighttime, my vessels in my leg would constrict more and slowly over time, like work out more to help my heart. And then if I increased salt in like with this one medication in a small dose, it should keep my heart 
like regulated enough. And after I did that, I wasn't passing out anymore. I wasn't like having these crazy heart rate like episodes and all these other doctors were just filling me with pills and like medications to try and regulate my heart rate, which was making it even more crazy. And sometimes it is just those little adjustments that you need to make a huge difference and realizing, okay, it is going to be trial and error and that's okay. Like everyone's body is different. We're all individuals. We might have the same condition, but our treatment is going to look completely different from one another. And how do you think that you learn to trust yourself like that? A lot of trial and error, honestly, is I always say you have to go with that gut instinct, like, and everyone has it. And over time, sometimes you start, maybe you can lose it in situations like where I feel like I lost that gut instinct for a little bit. Like when I was undiagnosed, I had so many doctors telling me, like I told you that I had an eating disorder, that I was bulimic. Yeah. My story started with waking up one day blind in my left eye, having neurological issues, severe pain all over my body. And it went on months before I developed stomach issues and throwing up and losing weight. And then they started telling me that. And even though I knew something else was going on, I started Googling like eating disorders, like bulimia and anorexia quizzes. Like I'm like, okay, they're doctors. They know best, right? If they tell yep. me I have an eating disorder. That's what it is. If they're telling me I'm crazy, that must be what it is. And so I started. Which makes doubting. you not trust your, yeah, start to doubt that voice. Exactly. And that's how I was for a few years because I was trusting everything the doctors were saying instead of trusting myself. And it wasn't until actually the treatment protocol that I'm supposed to have for my condition unfortunately it's caused meningitis for me twice uh so I've ended up with a wheel like in a wheelchair unable to walk unable to move had to relearn how to do everything through physical therapy so Mm -hmm. unfortunately it didn't work for me and my doctors had had so much when I got meningitis the first time they still had so much blind confidence in it and they're like no this will be like what works like as soon as I recovered from the meningitis they put me right back on it and for me like I blindly trusted that and I'm like no they know best like it was a one time screw up it's not going to happen and then I ended up with meningitis a second time and unable to move and that like I felt so I don't want to say stupid but in a way I did feel stupid because I'm like I feel of course yeah yeah like I should have trusted my gut like when this did when I had a bad reaction to it the first time I should have like been like okay I'm done with this like completely but I had so much hope and like I guess blind faith that I was willing to go for it and that really like made me realize okay now I need to find something that's going to help me and I need to start trusting myself and people around me I need to only listen to their opinions if they have my best interest at heart and sometimes it's not easy to get to that point yeah well what about that in terms of well first of all uh, this is so common it's so common I, I went through that myself I see it with all my clients pretty much almost every one of them the same exact thing 
um, usually at the point where we begin working together, like they're not fully in tune with their intuition and trusting it. You know, it's not necessarily our faults, you know, like it's, it's okay. It's okay that that happens. You know, that's, it's, it's part of going through this experience, you know, it's, it's one of the results of it, you know, but what matters is that you get back no matter what phase of your healing journey or um, experience you're in, it's of utmost important to get in touch with your inner voice, that intuition, that GPS, and to learn to trust it. Yeah. Um, and it can be so difficult when everything else around you is telling you the opposite. So what about, um, cause you just talked, you, you kind of hinted at in terms of like the people you surround yourself with. And you, you've also mentioned that like this completely changes who you are. So I'm assuming for you, it's probably changed a lot in terms of your friends, your support groups, like the type of people surround surrounding you so how has that changed and how have you gone through that process of like surrounding yourself with the right people to you know to support you me it took me a while to get to that point and unfortunately in the beginning it wasn't from a place of me wanting to get rid of them it was kind of those people choosing to leave themselves not wanting to be involved in Right. Sick person's life and <laughs> being at the hospital. So losing those friends, it made me like it hurt and it makes you doubt yourself and it makes you like, okay, it makes you get all those thoughts. Am I a burden? Is this condition a burden? Does this make me a bad friend? Blah, blah, blah. And then through therapy and mindfulness and everything, I start realizing like, no, that's their own issues with. Yep. And talking to them down the road, I realized it was their own issue. Like they would talk to me and they'd be like, uh, like my mom died from a chronic illness when I was young. And like seeing you sick reminded me of that and freaked me out. Like, yeah, and like seeing example. that they were having their own reasons of like why they couldn't be around and realizing this is their own issue. This has nothing to do with me. This has nothing to do with the kind of person I am, the kind of human I am it's that they can't deal with it and that's okay not everyone's going to be strong enough to deal with it and like for us it makes like you have to be a, a strong person to even go through this like it's not easy I say it's like being a fighter like <laughs> and every single day you're getting up and having to fight and deal with this and now I'm just super picky about who I let into my life. And I almost, it's bad. I always say like, I have a lot of acquaintances, but not a lot of like friends. Cause for you to be my friend, I need to be able to a hundred percent rely on you like that. I need, and vice versa. Yeah. My friends should know, like they can come to me if they need me and I can come to them. And I think unless you have those kind of people then why are they your friends to begin with and I think it really came to realizing my own value and realizing yeah. my own worth as opposed to having these negative thoughts and doubts about myself and allowing others to say negative things about me or think negatively and, in uh, my space allowing their perspective of you to affect how you feel about yourself and like um how you value yourself you're exactly right like you learn to value yourself despite what anybody says to you exactly and that's i think a huge shift in perspective for a lot of people is yeah. realizing 
even when I go about my day, if someone's screaming at me, like if I'm minding my own business and someone starts screaming at me, I realize, okay, they're probably having a crap day. They're probably just an angry person in general. This has nothing to do with me. They're just, I'm the result that they're taking it out on. And it's really coming from that neutral place of realizing like, okay, this doesn't have anything to do with me. It's just affecting me and realizing you don't have to let it affect you. You don't have to even allow that energy and you can be like, okay, sorry, you're having a bad day, dude. <laughs> Go on about your day. You yeah. Know, and oh, not engage, not react. Question, another question for you. I don't know if you're, you want to talk about this or not, but how has that piece affected your relation, like relationship status? I don't know if you're in a relationship or not, but like your ability to be in long-term relationships. That question quite a bit. Luckily I've been in now four-year relationship and the guy wow. I'm with is super understanding, super kind, but again, it wasn't not with him, but it wasn't always that place with my previous relationships. And I was talking with a girl the other day that the relationship that I ended, he was unfortunately very toxic. It was like, you're never gonna find anyone being sick. You're never gonna like, no one's gonna wanna be with a sick person. No one's gonna wanna be with someone with a chronic illness. And that- But at that time more, where they were, where, where you, you had that coming at you, had you already built up that ability to not let others affect no, how you feel? No, so that was when okay, I was like- got it. I mean, even be in that relationship in general, I was in a yeah. like low mindset. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> so this was like, when I was with him, I wasn't even diagnosed yet. Like Got this it. was, yeah. so he was kind of feeding into that, like, you're probably crazy. Like no one's going to want to deal with you. And yeah. then ending that relationship actually like helped me find a lot more of like my worth and my, and then getting diagnosed diagnosed and really following all these steps in my journey and then now with this current relationship in the beginning I had my doubts and my fears which I shared with him and I always think that's crucial to talk to people about like I was straight up with him I'm like this is how sick I am I don't know how it's gonna get if it's gonna get better like <laughs> it's a big situation to deal with like I get it if you don't want to deal with it and for him, he's like, why would you say that? Like, it's the same as anything else in life. Like, yeah, it's a shittier situation, of course, and it's hard, but that doesn't change who you are as a person. And I feel like there's so many people like that that see us for who we actually are. They don't see our condition as a piece of who we are and I think it's crucial to find those kind of people to surround yourselves with yes. and whether it's a relationship a friendship a mentorship doctors yep. it's our conditions only a piece of us and yeah it is a huge piece of us and it affects everything in our lives but that doesn't mean we don't have others define us it's not who we are exactly like Jake, yeah, like you're still a drummer you're still a mentor you're a boyfriend you have all these other pieces to you and that's all of us our conditions just a piece of us yeah that's beautiful I couldn't agree more and I feel like in order to get to that point first of all you have to get comfortable with yourself right and you have to get that self-worth like that last relationship you, you were in maybe you weren't at that point but then number two what you hit on is communication like 
first you have to do it, but then you have to be able to communicate it to somebody else. Everyone I've talked to in this space of the chronic illness who's in successful long-term relationships, it sounds including both of us have been through that same exact thing. I mean, I met my girlfriend on a dating app and before we even met in person, I told her the same exact thing. Hey, here's the deal. This is what I've been dealing with. This is what it is. Take it or leave it. Yeah. You know, and fortunately she decided to take it, you know, <laughs> all of it and embrace it and had a like such a similar reaction to what you're saying about who you're with now, where it's like, yeah, so like yeah. matter, you know, this doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. And this doesn't mean we can't be in a relationship or that you can't do anything, you know? Um, it's actually, honestly, something that I found in terms of my coaching is that no matter how like strong and how solid of a mindset you have and how much determination and will you have it definitely helps to have another person view it from the outside to help like remind you of certain things and push you forward and hold you accountable you know and that's um a beautiful part of being in a relationship but even coaching which you know is basically a relationship to some extent you know so it's um it helps so much when you have that feedback it's like yeah so like this isn't who you are. Let's move forward and focus on what you want to achieve, you know? Yeah. And I think it's great, especially when you can get kind of wrapped up and it can feel like your chronic illness is a majority of your life a lot of the time. For so sure. when, if you have someone that's able body that you're in a relationship with and they see all the other pieces of you as well, besides your condition, I think that's a huge of acceptance of yourself and yeah and I really do think that those relationships come once you have that acceptance of yourself because personality from the beginning we're like this is what it is take it or leave it but if we were to have come from a different place where maybe you lie on that first date you say like no I've never had like any condition I'm not even like mentioning that and then a couple months down the road you tell her or you try to get started yeah exactly and she's already gonna feel like you're lying to her she's already gonna feel confused that you didn't trust her enough to tell her or maybe she doesn't want to be involved in that and you didn't even offer her the opportunity and I think it's so crucial to just have that open communication from the beginning and have from the that start yeah and that confidence in yourself because then other people feel that confidence and feel that yes, it's contagious yeah and you're entirely right that it, it it bleeds over into you know this isn't just the relationship doctors mentors you're you're entirely right it's with everybody in your life especially I mean okay one of the things that you said is about like um being a, like a major fighter like feeling like every single day you're getting up and every single day you're dealing with this right like a lot of us in chronic illness are basically fighting every single day just to just to survive, you know, but the reality is that those skills that we inherently learn, whether we realize it or not from this fight are really valuable skills that if you recognize them and if you use them in a strategic way can help you move way beyond just living and surviving and move into thriving and living your life how you want, you know, um, I think we're both examples of doing that. And that's what I work with people to do as well. This gives you um, a, a new level of empathy, right? And understanding for other people and their struggle and what they're going through. That's something that I notice all the time is chronic illness gives you a new level of compassion and empathy for one another that 
you don't necessarily develop without those experiences. And that's something yeah. why I say I'm thankful because there's like, quote, and it says, is suffering really necessary? It's like, well, yes and no. And suffering is necessary until you realize it's unnecessary. And I really feel like that's the point that we've come to is, yes, yeah. suffering's necessary and it's hard. And every day, yeah, we fight and we struggle, but eventually you can get it past that point and you can realize, no, I don't want to suffer anymore. Like, I want to thrive. I want to live the best life I can and that change in your mindset like yeah you've been through all these struggles and I'm not gonna sit here and say I'm not still going through struggles like I still have treatments every other day through shots and I still have I'm on an experimental treatment because my past five treatments haven't worked <laughs> you know like I'm not gonna sit here and say that it's easy, but my mindset yeah. makes it feel like it's easy. You know, my mindset, I make the best out of every day from what I have. And there you yeah, go. The yes. Yeah, that's what you got to do. Yes, Melody. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's back to the, the driving analogy, you know, and it's not to say it's going to be a difficult drive and there's going to be, there may be bumps in the road, you know, and you may get a flat tire, like all these things may happen and, you know, life has suffering and problems that is inevitable i don't care how well off you are or no matter what phase of life you're in or anything you're gonna run into problems that's inevitable you know but um and once again something you can't control but you can control how you respond to it and you're proof that it's possible i'm proof that it's possible um it's a beautiful thing you know i mean it it it, it bleeds over into anybody's life you know this is this isn't something just for chronic illness it's just that chronic illness forces us to deal with it in a really um persistent way you know most people don't face these challenges till maybe they experience a loss or an illness later on or whole, a whole number of things you know but it's usually a single event or maybe even two or three events like later on in life or who knows when whereas we're confronted with this sort of struggle daily, you know, for a long time. And sure enough, like we build up the skills to deal with it, you know, but any, you know, anybody's life, you're going to deal with struggles. It's how you're going to see struggles. It's how you face them. And that's something too, that I think many people, even if they do deal with those struggles later on in life, there's kind of an end day in sight. If, you lose someone or you go through a breakup, you know, it's going to be extremely painful, but as time goes on, you're going to move on. You're going to maybe find another relationship with a chronic illness. It might be possible to get better, but with a lot of us, it's not possible and it's not a reality. And if you're getting diagnosed at 15, 20, that means for the rest of your life, for the next 60 years, 50 years, 70 years, you're going to be having that everyday battle, which is different than having a battle for a year or six like months. A <laughs> period of time. Yeah, exactly. And it yeah. really changes your everyday mentality. And that's something I'm thankful for because I see people in their eighties that don't have the same mentality because they've yeah. never had to have that level of empathy or compassion and have those yeah. situations until they're on their deathbed and they're like, wow, I realize, like, I wish I would have done this differently. Like, yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. I will say something, what you're saying about the enhanced level of empathy and compassion. I've 
thought a lot about, and I'm also extremely grateful for this, you know, um, but I have also realized with some of my clients, some of the work I've done that sometimes once again, um, back to what we said earlier, it could be a blessing and a curse when it comes to the empathy, especially the area I notice this most is with boundary setting. When people face setting boundaries, a lot of times that enhanced level of empathy makes it difficult because you care so much about other people that it's easy to neglect your own boundaries and what you need to feel good. So that's just one interesting thing that I find with it. Overall, I think it's an incredible thing that so many of us share in this space, but it's also something that when it comes to boundary setting um, can be challenging and something to consider when you're, when you're setting boundaries. Oh, and I think that's so important to consider as well, because I think a lot of, especially in the chronic illness community, you can end up struggling with that in a negative way. You can yeah. end up over committing yourself. And I do see that quite a bit where yeah. maybe you've struggled so much yourself that you don't want people to feel the same way that you have felt. But at the end of the day, you kind of have to realize you can't control anyone's situation. You can't control their outcomes. The only one that's responsible for their life is themselves, just like you're the only one responsible for your life. So they're not going to depend on you just the same as you don't depend on them. Like they survived before you, they'll survive after you. And I think that's a crucial mindset to come to and realizing like, you know, I need to take care of myself just the same way that they're taking care of themselves like and sometimes that will be able to help and sometimes that'll be able to like offer advice or help or your energy and other times you're gonna have to say no and you're gonna have to be like listen I would love to but I just can't and that's okay too and it's a big part I think with self-acceptance to also put those boundaries in place as well yeah, I couldn't agree more, for sure. So, like, a big thing that, just back to the control thing, like, how in control of your life do you feel right now? And how did you feel kind of like before you had gone through all of this work? And that's the funny thing is, <laughs> one of my favorite things to say is, you make plans and the universe laughs. I don't feel in control of my life at all. I don't feel, and that's fine. I put as much effort as I can in the current moment that I'm in. Right now we're filming. All I can do is make the best of this phone call, this conversation. We might have a tech error and we might both cut out. You might have an issue in a couple minutes and we have to stop talking, but I won't be able- Yeah, but not right now. Exactly. And that's (laughs) what's important is focusing on the present moment and focusing. You can't control anything. You can't, me worrying about the Wi-Fi cutting out isn't going to keep it from cutting out. Me worrying that one of us might have a sick episode isn't going to change us having an episode of being sick. So you just kind of have to deal with what you have in front of you at the present moment and put as much effort and energy as you can into that so I I'm like a control I have to view it because I don't want to say like with our type a personalities and like I'm super OCD about a lot of things I want to put a hundred percent in at all times so for me it's realizing okay I have to put that in right now like 
30 minutes from now, I might not even be able to do work because I might be feeling sick or I might be stuck in bed for the next week. But until that happens, I'm going to be putting my best foot forward and trying as hard as I can. I love that. Yeah. Your mindset is super strong. You're in a, yeah, you've done the work for sure. Um, and I'm glad we're talking about it. You know, hopefully it could help show other people that it's possible to get through this space, you know, and live life like this in the face of it. What about you this, like, um, just especially to those listening, so they have a better understanding of how I work with people. Everybody comes to me and they want to get well. Like a lot of people complain of whether it's acceptance or communication, or for me, I find a lot of people talking about control. They just feel like their lives are so out of control. Like everything is just out of balance, you know? Um, and it's hard to find any sense of fulfillment or balance or control. Right. So that's why a lot of people end up coming to me. Um, through my coaching program, I basically work through a model that I developed called the work model. And if you're listening right now and you want to write this down or Melody, even if you want to write it down, it, it helps um, frame how I, how we work together. Basically the W is your way to wellness. And that's what everybody wants. They want that W. They want to figure out how am I going to get well? The O stands for an oath and that's your commitment to your way to wellness. How do you stay committed to that journey? Like you said, while you're on that road, no matter if it gets foggy or snowy or at which point, you know, what are tools and systems to, to keep you committed to that? SR stands for recommendation. And that is what you're talking about. The doctors is getting, gathering the right information to figure out, you know, what are your options? What are the recommendations you could get in order to find that way to wellness? What are you ready to commit to? And before W-O-R-T-H, so the T is talk. We've already went over this. It's a huge part, communication. And the H is the hunt, which is really what we talked about at the beginning of uncovering your intuition and your needs, not what anybody else tells you, but what you need. Now, once again, everybody comes to me and they want to figure out their way to wellness, the W. Basically, how I work is I work one-on-one -on -one with people through these programs and we work backwards through them. So we start with the hunt and we get really clear on what is going on? What do you truly need? What brings you joy? You know, how do you listen to your inner voice? How do you put space between feelings and stimuli and things that are happening and increase your ability to be in control of your response? And then that moves and acceptance, of course, like you mentioned, that moves into the talk phase. You know, how do you clearly and confidently communicate in a concise way, whether that's to loved ones and like you're saying to gain support or to a practitioner? How do you have a successful doctor's appointment where you're concise and you communicate what needs to be done, you know, and how do you get to that recommendation phase where when you're in the doctor's office, you could sit there in a calm space and listen to what they have to say and learn from it and know that you don't need to just jump to commit to it. You can take your time and make a grounded strategic decision about what you want to do based on these recommendations you got. When you're ready to move forward, we move into the oath phase. And that's the commitment where you make a commitment to your way to wellness and something that's like sworn in by writing. And together we work to put that oath together. So even once our time together coaching ends, you know, you're going to stay committed to that, even if it gets tough and there's ups and downs and you can continue to work towards your W, your way to wellness, back to the W. So that's the model that I use to frame the work I do. Um, and that's that's pretty much where I'm at in terms of how, how I'm helping people. And once again, really grateful that I can connect with you. And I feel that to anybody who's listening or who's out there struggling and feels like, um, you know, this type of work may 
may help you, um, you know, I'd love to, to hear from you. And you could reach out on DM or at Jake Mayer's coaching on Instagram um, or Jake Mayer's coaching at gmail.com. And let's chat and discuss how we can get you to where you want to be, you know? I think that right there is a perfect wrap up because I was just going to ask you how to <laughs> get a hold of you. So that that's it. Is perfect right there. Or fax, send a carrier pigeon. I mean, <laughs> whatever. The point is but, let's let's connect. But I will t- 